0: All right, well, I want to look into our theme today, and listen, it's so good to see you. It's just good to be here uh, the first day of the week and just to be refreshed in what's true and to be able to be refreshed in worship. I don't know if you experience that or not, but as I read and am able to express with you things that are true, it just kind of, it kind of just satisfies my heart. There's a joy, there's a gladness, there's a peace, and I don't know, when we're doing that together, it just, it's delightful. It's delightful. And so I'm thankful for how God has set that up too. We can bless his name and he in return can refresh our spirits uh, as we delight in him. So, but I want to press into our theme here today, all right? Pursuing the idea of purity is what we've been talking about. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. So if you'd like to go ahead and turn there, you can. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, this will be on the wall. You can follow along there if you'd like to as well. Um, one of my favorite books of the Bible, Philippians. But we'll be here in the middle of this chapter momentarily. Uh, But let's talk before we get into this, all right? Pursuing purity is what we're going to talk about. And when I think of this, maybe you don't think this way, but when I think of biblical purity, uh, I was kind of conditioned to think in the realm of sexual purity, right? So when people think kind of of that kind of biblical purity, that's where our mind tends to go, right? Does your mind go there? Biblical purity makes you think of sexual purity, right? And I can remember when I was the age of some of you in this room, a lot of movements started towards that end because our culture had become so saturated with um, sex and all these things that it was just they were trying to push back. And so there were these books, these series that came out called True Love Waits. You guys heard those? Anybody ever been to a True Love Waits kind of conference? Started out as a book that went to a series of books and went to a study that went to like a weekend retreat conference. True Love Waits and. And then they had all kinds of merchandise. You could buy this T-shirts and the stickers for your car, and you could get a, a purity ring, kind of a symbol. You'd go through a service where you would pledge yourself to be pure to the Lord until you were married, and you would get a ring as a reminder that you have given yourself to God, and you've, you've taken that vow. A passion for purity was another kind of way to try to address the hearts of teenagers who were struggling in the areas of purity, Okay. Which was great and it's needed, and all that's true, right? The Bible says within the bonds of marriage, that's to be the intimate relationship and that's to be enjoyed there, and outside of that, it's sin. So it's pretty clear cut, it's pretty simple. Uh, We tend to struggle with that, but the Bible does not. Um, But one thing I missed through all that was my understanding of purity was that it just related to things of intimacy. And as I read scriptures, it goes way beyond that. Would you agree? Right? So being pure is not just about wait till you're married. You know, and some people thought, hey, we were successful at being pure because we didn't cross a line until we got married, and yet there was still a lot of impurity in their heart and their soul. So biblical purity goes way beyond just the areas of intimacy. And so here's some scriptures that help identify some ways that we're to be pure. And the seven of them, you can follow along here just to see that it's much broader than, uh, than intimacy. All right, so verse 9, this is Psalm 19. The fear of the Lord is what? Pure and it endures forever. Okay? Nothing there about uh, sexual intimacy. This is about fearing the Lord. All right, So we see it moves beyond that to having this healthy respect or reverence for who God is. That can be classified as pure. Here's something else. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? It's the one who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. And so here we see purity relates to the heart. In the Old Testament, the heart is like the will. It's the desire. It's the core. It's the center. right? So when you think of heart, don't think of that organ that's pumping in your chest right now. right? Think about uh, the center of who you are. This is like my will, my desire, my passions, my goals. All right? So having pure heart is something that can be Pleasing to God, having a trust in God is also something connected with purity. All right. Proverbs 15, 26. The Lord detests the thoughts of the wicked, but gracious words are pure in his sight. And so here we see that purity also is connected to how we talk, our speech. right? so here again we're moving away from the things of just intimacy. You didn't cross the line, way to go. All right. Kudos to you. But are you pure in these other areas? Are you fearing the Lord? And here in this context, are you having or demonstrating using pure conversation? Proverbs 16, 2. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. And so, what is he talking about here? What is it that is pure or impure? It's our motives, okay? So, why do I do what I do? Why do you do what you do? Why do we wake up each morning? Why have we come here? Why have we interacted with others here? Why have we not? Why have we sang or not sung? Right? Why have we given or not given? All these things are understood by the Lord, and every motive we have is to be pure. And so it moves way beyond, again, that idea of intimacy. Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, all right, whatever is lovely or admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, then think about these things, all right? Think about such things. And so here we see purity is connected to our, our thought life. Right, And so it moves, that would definitely include the areas of sexual purity, but it moves way beyond that as well. And then 1 Timothy 5.22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. How do I keep myself pure? Here he says, stay away from other people and their sin. Okay, so yeah, in intimacy, yeah, that's something that needs to be avoided, but so does Drunkenness. Right? So, st- anything that dishonors God, I'm to stay away from. That is an example of being pure. All right? And then let's go one more here. 1 Peter 2 2. Like newborn babes or babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And so, we're talking here then about the cravings that you and I have. All right? They're to be pure as well. Uh, and so, anything that's impure is like something that we wouldn't allow in. You guys have things that you like to eat? I mean, when you, somebody tell me, what's something you like? What's a specific flavor or taste, food? Uh Uh-oh, fried chicken. We sound just like a bunch of Baptist folks, don't we? Yeah, (laughs) fried chicken. So when you take a taste of that, all right, it's good, right? There's something about that that just satisfies. That works in agreement with your taste buds. All right, somebody else? Biscuits and gravy. Man, you guys are killing me here. Good stuff, right? And so when you eat that, especially when it's fixed the way you like it, whew, that's hard to beat. What else? What do you like? What's flavorful to you? What's your texture or flavor? Yeah. Hash brown, ca- not just hash brown casserole, but what's it got to have in it? Cheese. That cheesy hash brown casserole like you can get at Cracker Barrel or at Aunt Bev's or Grandma's or whatever, like You know, oh, that's good. Or you get here at church, when we have church dinners, a lot of times there's that cheesy hash brown casserole, right? So when you taste that, it's, oh, it's good, right? It satisfies that craving. Anybody else? Cheesecake and chocolate. Mm, okay. So now we're getting on the sweet side of things. How many of you are sweet people? Oh, you're all so sweet. (laughs) All right. How many of you are the flip, like the salty people? Kind of in the middle. All right. I'm the guy, if I eat something sweet, I've got to top it off with something salty. So I'll have the chocolate or cheesecake, but make sure you hand me a few chips afterwards, something, a handful of salt even. Just I need to finish with something salty. So we've all got things that our taste buds just crave. I didn't hear anybody say, like, I crave soured milk. Right? And when I worked with my dad in college, the Benson Creamery in Decatur, Illinois, they made... Um, ice cream mix for like Dairy Queen and Wendy's and Arby's, Burger King, all sorts. I mean, he drove a long way across Indiana and uh, Illinois after he got locked out of Staley's. And so in the summertime, i finally come to my senses a little bit. You know, you hit that point where you think you're smarter than everybody on the planet, and then it's, you know, you're at the bottom of the totem pole here, buddy. You're not who you think you are. And so being able to work with my dad was some real special times there. I had the really good times with him, and I'm thankful that I got to that point while we were still working together there. But we would have some stuff. Sometimes it was left over. or would get, uh, The date would be wrong on it. Or maybe the bag would get half filled. And so we couldn't sell that or distribute it. So we had a room that was set aside for this hog farmer. And maybe once a week or once every ten days. He'd come by with this great big trailer. And we'd load up everything that had either been mixed wrong. Or had the wrong date on it. Or wasn't filled like it was supposed to. And put it on his trailer. Well then he would return all the empties. Right, so he had these 50 gallons, some of you may remember, maybe they weren't 50 gallons, that sounds really big. Those metal cans, like they used to put milk in, I mean, they're about this tall, maybe they're 10 gallons, I can't remember what they are, but they're big, and they're heavy when they're full, I know that. Well, he'd bring them back, but he hadn't cleaned them. Or those milk crates, you know, like you used to put them, the glass bottles in, and so he'd bring those back, and they'd got ice cream mix all over them, and they would just stink. I mean, you could smell this guy coming a block away, right, so... It never made me want what it is that he was taking from us. You know, just that soiled milk, curdled, just nastiness, right? Nobody wants that. So here we're talking about in the areas of pure, right? I want my heart and my mind to be delighted by what is pure. And anything that's trying to get in that's not pure, I want to have such a taste for what is pure that I repel that. So I turn the channel, I turn the radio station, I walk away from the conversation, I close the, whatever, the website. I just, I'm moving away from that because I don't want anything to do with that. So we see that our cravings go way beyond, our purity goes way beyond just intimacy into really every facet of life. Purity is one of these things that should really be uh, connected to everything that we say or do. It walks really close with holiness. Uh, and we'll see Paul giving some encouragement to that end today. So, Philippians 2 is where we're going to go. Here he's writing to some people, and he loved this group of people. All right, these Philippian believers, um, on more than one occasion, they had helped him out financially. And one time he said, No one came to my aid, but you did. And you were there to supply, and God used you to supply a need in my life. They were, you know, in Philippians 1, he talks about how much he loved them because of their partnership and the gospel. Uh, He just felt like these are people that we're kindred spirits, right? We're one. We're working towards the same goal, the same end. When I'm with you, you refresh me. And uh, he writes about that in in chapter 1. We're going to be in chapter 2. He's trying to write to give some encouragement to these people who've encouraged him. you got people like that in your life? I hope that's the culture that we're developing here at Peace Church. Where when you see somebody, it just... It just elevates your joy. And when you see them, it's like, man, it's good to see you. Like, you just, just your presence is an encouragement. Just your smile is an encouragement. All right? That's the kind of people here that this Philippian church were, and that's who we want to be as well. But here he's going to write to them and talking about what we're dealing with in the areas of purity. All right? So Philippians 2, verse 12. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence... Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ, that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. And so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And so Paul was just, these people delighted him and he felt like they were kind of part of his crown. He had labored there. Some of these people had heard what was true. They had received Christ. He had helped. He'd invested truth in them. He was helping build them to be disciples who make disciples. They gladdened his heart. And he's telling them, you should be glad as well in the work that God has done in you and what he's going to do through you. All right, so here we're going to talk about becoming pure. And a few things that connect with our text here today as it relates to the idea of pursuing purity. Um, And we'll see here as well that this is a process. So you can follow along as always, one, two, three. If you'd like to in your bulletin, don't have to at all. But uh, that's just kind of the way that it uh, works in my mind. All right, so here we go. Number one, to become pure, it's going to require us to be mindful of everything that we say and do. All right? We're starting big, all right? Heavy hitter. We'll work in reverse this morning. Requires us to be mindful of everything that we say and do. So at the beginning of chapter 2, you might remember, Paul challenged these people to be humble. Right? And demonstrate that humility by putting other people before yourself. So don't be selfish. Don't get yours first and then help somebody else. Set yourself aside to serve others. And he said as a model for this, use the attitude of Jesus. Right? Jesus was the one, that goes on to say, he set himself aside to come and serve the purpose that they had ordained before anyone ever came to be. That the Son of God would come, take on flesh, live a sinless life, die the perfect death, be resurrected and ascend so that he could come back for those who believed. All right, and so he said, let this attitude be in you. And we read as well that we're to be obedient uh, and to be obedient to the point of not grumbling or not arguing. And so here's how we can definitely grow in some ways of purity. And so here he says, do everything without grumbling or without arguing so that you may become blameless and what? Pure. How is it you become blameless and pure? We'll back it up. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. All right. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Another way of saying that is you and I are becoming children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. So did you know when you do not grumble and when I do not argue that we are becoming more like Christ? You ever thought that? You know, when you are withholding what's on your tongue. when you are willing to speak thankfulness rather than to be a grouch, that there is this process that's ongoing within you that's helping you become more and more pure. These children of God living in this warped and crooked generation. So this pursuit of purity here, it's it's a process. It's something that we are becoming, uh, and it's something that you and I are having developed within us. Anybody struggle with this, though? Anybody struggle with grumbling or complaining, right? So I'm smiling, you're smiling. That's our way of saying, yeah, we're those kind of people sometimes, right? We have difficulty in the areas of of grumbling uh, or complaining. And, you know, when something happens the way that you weren't anticipating it was going to happen, for me, that's where I can start to want to grumble. You? You? You know, you're expecting something to work and it doesn't, and you get. Right? It just happens. Well, it doesn't just happen. I mean, we think it and we do it, but it seems to be our go to. Uh, when somebody doesn't treat us as anticipated, right? When somebody comes at you with an edge, what's our initial response to that? When somebody comes to us and they want to argue, sometimes we're like, I'll bark right back at you. Right? So you bring it and I'll dish it out also. And so we understand this idea of wanting to be people who grumble or complain or wanting to be people who argue. And so what is Paul's advice in these opportunities? It's pretty simple. Don't do it. When you feel like you want to grumble, don't. When you feel like you've got a reason to complain, stop. When somebody's coming at you and they want to argue or they're heated or they feel like you've got to hear why I'm upset with you, Listen, but don't argue, don't defend, All right? Easier said than done, but that's what we're called to be. If we want to become people who are pure, then it's, it's got to be a work on our part. Part of the work of the Spirit in us is self-control, right? Part of the fruit of the Spirit in us is discipline. And so with that in us, we've got to be willing to strive for things beyond just the norm of I don't like this food, and I don't want to eat this, or I'm tired of this rain, and come on, God, or why won't my car work like it's supposed to, or I just can't stand this person, right? When we get grouchy, grumpy, when we want to argue, we tend to have an opportunity, or we tend to close the opportunities that are there in front of us. Have you ever wanted to have an opportunity, or have a conversation with somebody? You wanted to talk to somebody about something, and when you started the conversation, you knew you weren't going to be able to talk about it right then. And maybe something on your heart, you say, man, I want to talk to this person. And you approach them, and they're in a bad mood. And you're like, oh, this isn't a good time to bring this up. Right? What's happened there? My grumpiness, my grumbling closed that door. It closed the opportunity. Right? or maybe you're wanting to talk with someone, have a conversation, and this conversation starts to escalate and becomes an argument, what ends up happening is we close the door then for any kind of headway. Right, I'm venting, you're venting, nothing good's being accomplished. And so what we've done is just hindered the opportunity maybe for, it could be for the gospel to be heard, or it could be for reconciliation, or it could be for some growth in a relationship. We've stopped it or squashed it Because we've grumbled, complained, or argued. I I wonder how many doors I've closed because of my grumbling. I probably don't want to know the answer to that. I wonder how many doors I've closed because I addressed an argument with an argument in return. Paul says here we're to be people who are pure and that's a process. Listen, from God's perspective you're positionally pure. Which means you couldn't be any more pure in his eyes than you are right now. So the way God sees you and I is entirely perfect, holy, pure. However, while we walk this planet, there's this condition where we've got to grow, become more like Christ. And it's the process. And so to partner in the process to become pure, here he says it's going to require us to be mindful of everything that we say and do. Big task, right? But it's important. And so in the context of Philippians 2, he's talking about obedience. So what Christ is asking you to do, don't grumble about it. Where he's leading you, well, I should be somewhere else. I can't believe I'm dealing with this. This is hard. Why are you blessing these people and I'm over here and this just stinks? No, don't don't just sit in what you would call the misery of maybe God's appointment or God's leading. Obey with a heart that is thankful. That's striving for things that are pure and that are holy. Becoming pure requires us to be mindful. All right, two, becoming pure is going to enable us. All right, if we'll work through the grumbling and the arguing, if we can set that aside, and by the way, I need your help in that. All right, and you're going to need my help in that because there's going to be moments where I want to say something, you're going to, hey, just wait a minute, Pastor. Wait a minute, Corey, Let's, let's just back away. Okay, good advice. All right. Or let's don't go down, down that road. I know you feel justified in complaining. You think everything's against you. It's not your fault. This shouldn't happen. Okay, I know. But let's try to trust God here. Let's leave some room for God to work like we've been learning about in our study. And if we'll do those things, here Paul says, it's going to enable us then to point other people to, to Christ. So, oftentimes, people have a tell. Does that make sense to you? You know what it means to have a tell, like a tell sign? Sometimes you hear this when people are lying. You hear people say that before, like, when people, well, I'm saying people a lot, when people lie, that's right, they don't make eye contact. And so maybe when someone's lying, a child, or when I'm lying to you, which I hope that I'm not lying to you, but when I'm, if I were lying to you, I might just look to the left. And you keep asking me a question, and I keep looking you off, I keep looking you off. Or maybe there's a change in the tone of my voice. Right, and you kind of notice, oh, that's different than how he was talking just a few minutes ago. That's a tell. Right? There are people who whose job it is is to hook up these little probes on people and to give them a test. Right? What's that test called? The like a police officer would do. A lie detector. Man, I'm sorry, I went blank. I was thinking EKG as well, yeah. So a lie-detecting test, right? And they ask certain questions, and that little line, what I'm told, what I've seen on TV, I've not had one yet, um, but that little line just goes like this, and then when they ask a question, and all of a sudden, oh, it goes up, right? They're reading your heart rate and those kind of things, and so they could, that's a tell, right? You've, uh, I've seen people play like poker on TV, not a long time, but when Texas Hold'em first came out, you'd see guys sitting around the table, some of them wear sunglasses, right because they don't want to give away anything with their eyes so maybe they know they have a tell uh, or maybe you've heard it say man you don't have a poker face at all you know when you get a good hand and you're just smiling ear to ear like you're just you're about to win the game and everybody knows it because you finally got a good hand right so we've got these tells these things about us that people can identify as you know, something in our life that may be, um, may be right or maybe good or maybe the opposite if it's lying or things of that nature. Well, here we're talking about we have this tell of purity. All right, people can look at those who are followers of Christ and have an identifiable marker, and that marker is purity. So when people don't believe, look at you and I, they should see in us that we're not argumentative, that we don't complain, that our conversation, our speech is going to be conducted in a way that's above board, that's right, that seems to be pleasing. To God, they're striving to live at peace with other people as far as it depends on them, right? And so they're being enabled as they, as we work to do these things than to point other people to Christ. It's one of the identifiable markers of a follower of Jesus, purity. Uh, and so the result is, here he says, you and I are like light in, in a dark place. And so let's read it. Verse 15, so that you may become blameless and pure. So verse 14 was... Do everything without grumbling and arguing, arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, and a warped and crooked generation. Does that sound like our generation? That's been every generation. The world is continually crooked. Crooked means what it sounds like. It's not straight. There is a right way to go, and it's a straight way, and lots of times we want to go the crooked way. Right? Or it sounds like it's warped, and these are the ideas of things being corrupt, or things being perverted, things being morally impure. That's the generation of, of the world. But he says, when we do not grumble, when we do not argue, when we are becoming blameless and pure, we shine among the warped and the crooked generation like stars in the sky. Right? When's the last time you looked at the stars in the sky? Has it been a while? Last night, okay. Well, those who are pure stand out from those who are not. But what's the purpose? Is that so we can gloat? Ha ha. I'm pure, you're not. I'm saved, you're not. Heaven's mine, hell's yours. I win, you lose. Good for me, bad for you. No. You think the stars shine to gloat and brag? Well, look how bright I am. And look at what galaxy I'm a part of. No. No. They shine just to give light. That's their job, and that's what they do. And so they shine to light up the darkness. And something that really connected with me here even this past week is that they're always shining even when nobody's watching. So that's why I ask you, how long has it been since you went out to look at the stars? Or how long has it been since you've seen the moon? You know, day after day, night after night goes by, and they're shining, and most of the time I'm not looking at them but they're still there shining. Now here this past week, uh, we've got a new skill in our house. We can run shop vacs, multiple shop vacs for hours on end. All right? It looks good on a resume. And so I remember, it was Thursday night into Friday morning. Not sure exactly what time it was, but it had stopped raining Thursday about 6 o'clock, but it was still real cloudy. And so we're going out, you know, maybe every half hour, hour with a five-gallon bucket, and we're dumping water. And so I remember going outside, and go back in, and you dump the next shop back, and go outside, and, dump, and you just keep doing that relentless. Well, at one point I went out. And it was early in the morning, and it just got my attention. Like it's bright out, and so I looked up, and the moon was shining, and the stars were shining, and just for like maybe 30 seconds, man, I felt refreshed. I felt encouraged. Because in the midst of my darkness, light had shone. And light's a difference maker when people are in the middle of darkness. And so I started thinking about it. You know, as Christians here, if we shine like stars in a dark spot, there are going to be times where people's lives aren't dark. At least they don't think they are. They're not going through a difficult time. They haven't got a bad diagnosis from a doctor. They haven't had a son or daughter who's died from a disease. They haven't lost a job. Life's cruising pretty good for them. And even though they're in the dark, they don't realize it. And so you and I shine like stars, but they're not looking. Right? Just like that tonight, the stars will shine. I guarantee it, because God does. And one of these days is going to come where they're going to find themselves on this rainy day, this cloudy day when life stinks, and they may not be shot back in water, but they're going to be going through something in life that is difficult. What are they going to be looking for? Some kind of light in their darkness. And so, what you and I are called to do here is just consistently shine. You're saying nobody's watching. Well, maybe not yet. But there's going to come a cloudy day, and you don't know what's going to happen in their life, but they're going to look for my light. They're going to look for your light, something in us to shine in their dark spot to give them some hope, to give them some encouragement, to share with them a promise that they can cling to, to point them to. Jesus, right? And so here, this speaks to just consistently, just like the stars in the sky, consistently shining. And as we shine, there will be those who ultimately see and they'll find their hope is in Christ. When you and I do not grumble or complain, but our heart is set towards purity, it enables us to shine like stars so we can then point others to Christ. Remember, we've already said it. When we do grumble and complain and argue, we shut the opportunity. There's no longer an enabling to shine like a star in that person's life. They don't want to hear it. All she does is complain. All he does is bellyache. Every time I talk with him, it turns into an argument. They never care about what I think. They just want to prove me wrong. Tell me how much they know. Right? All that stuff shuts down people. And so when we avoid that, trying to be pure, we're enabled. We shine like stars. And then third here, all right, becoming pure is going to occur then as we hold firmly to what's true, as we hold true firmly to the Word of God. So thankful today, purity is not something that I have to achieve on my own, nor is purity something you and I have to go define. Like, what does it mean to be pure? Remember, we would do this as teenagers. What line can you cross and still be okay with God? That heart is way wrong. It's trying to be selfish and get what I want rather than pursuing holiness and purity and trying to become more like Christ. So we're not to define it. and Thankfully, as we've sung this morning, it's revealed through the Word of God. And so Paul says, hold to it. How do we hold to it? Verse 16, as you hold firmly to the Word of life. As you hold firmly to the Word of life. Have you ever held something firmly? Now, I was thinking of some different things, but one of the things that came to mind was a child who's f- afraid or maybe in an unknown area, someplace that they're not real comfortable. Maybe you have had a, a daughter or son or a granddaughter or grandson and they have got a little bit scared or uncomfortable. What do they do? They go run to that grandparent or that mommy or daddy and they wrap their arms around their neck and their legs around your waist and they bury their face in the crease of your neck and shoulder right here and they're just hanging on for dear life, right? I mean, that's a picture to me of holding firmly to what you would call your rock, holding firmly to what it is or who it is that's going to protect you, right? Holding firmly to the one that you have confidence in, the one that you know very well, the one that you trust is going to look after your best interest. You are clinging, you are holding firmly to that person. Right? That's what it looks like here in the context, to hold firmly, Right? Now, does that mean that we're to walk around with our Bibles like this? Tuck it up here and like, oh, no. That would look kind of odd. That would be a little silly. It would definitely be a tell, oh, they're a Christian. How do you know? Because they're hugging their Bible. Bible huggers is what they'd be called, right? Whatever. People hug trees, we hug Bibles. But the picture here is to hold firmly. And so if I want to be pure, I've got to cling to what is true. And for me to know what's true means I've got to be in the Word. Like if you could call out a promise right now, what's a promise from God's Word that is, is something that's like your anchor? You don't have to do it right now, but just think. Like where could you go? What's a verse of Scripture that you can call to mind and it serves you as a truth? I may not feel this way, but this I know to be true. I may not like what I'm currently going through, but this is a promise from God, and I know this will happen. Like, what are you holding firmly to? I mean, what's the point of holding this tightly if I don't know what it says? There'd be no point, right? So, holding firmly means I am in this, and I'm digesting it, and I'm saturating my mind with it, and I'm having conversations with other believers to help me understand this, and I'm participating in studies as I'm able, and I'm taking notes and I'm looking up words and I'm listening to the radio or to C D or to podcasts, other people who can help me understand who God is. It's it's I want to know what's true. So that as I navigate this life, I can have this as my anchor. He's my refuge. You know that song we sing about made me glad. He's my shelter. Right? He's my refuge. He's my strong tower. He's my very present help in my time of need. Right? So, those aren't just words on a wall. Those are truths to cling to. Right? It can be an anchor for my soul and for your soul as we try to navigate life. But this thing goes one step further. To hold firmly to the truth means I can hold it out for you also. You ever had somebody speak a word of truth to you that met you in your time of need? Maybe they didn't even know it. You're in conversation with somebody and they're talking to you about maybe a time that they've been through and God's proven faithful to them and you walk away feeling blessed. Huh. Man, that's just what I needed. I had a sixth grade girl send me a video last, uh, last week. We had been talking in class about Jesus being betrayed and about the crowd crying crucify him. And how they released Barabbas and took Jesus. And she said, Mr. Penn, you know, that conversation made me think of a video. It's called Jesus Loving Barabbas. And she said, if you have a chance, look it up. It's about an eight-minute video. I'd encourage you to go watch it. And man, I sat there, and the whole time I'm watching that, I just felt blessed, like encouraged, refreshed. I would never thought about how did Jesus look at Barabbas. I wonder if they had a conversation. Like, did they bump shoulders? Maybe Jesus is standing here and Barabbas is standing here. Who's going free? Barabbas. And maybe Barabbas looks at Jesus and smirks. Huh. These are my people. Nobody loves you. What did Jesus look back at him with? You know, I don't know. I don't know what any of that moment was like, but I'd never thought about, from Barabbas' perspective, what, what an encounter with Jesus would have been like or what he would have felt or thought having been freed by this man who ultimately could free his life. And so I went back and I'd sent her this email and showed it to her and was just like, that was so good for me. And like, thank you for taking the time to share that with me. What was she doing? She was holding to something that she firmly believes and she was holding it out to me as a source of encouragement. See, when you and I hold firmly to what's true, we're then equipped... To help other people in their time of need let me share with you a promise that I hang on to let me share with you this word that really spoke to me and comforted me in my time of need maybe it'll be comforting for you as well let me talk to you about how God has answered my prayer and we recounted this morning just several ways where God has met us and where God has spoke to us and where God has answered prayer he's this living God he's just not words on a page that I get the right theology about he's my God he's my friend he's my savior he's my Lord he's my personal God not just black or red letters and when I know him when you know him we are equipped to share with other people what it is that we're holding firmly to in God's word anybody feel like you're there yet? Are you pure Perfect? You didn't get that. That was terrible. <laughs> I'm not either. But this is where my heart is set. You know, we read it this morning. Psalm 51.10. You remember it? Create in me a, a pure heart. And that's what I want. Yes, in the areas of intimacy. No doubt. Purity there, please. And I pray daily, God, give me... Help me to see people with a pure mind. Help the words that come off my mouth to be motivated by something pure in my heart. This is a constant prayer for me. Uh, but I, and I pray for this for you as well, that, that we would want to be holy, pure, um, a place where the Spirit can dwell, just like we sung about here this morning, the sanctuary to live for the Lord. So purity is a process. And so no, we're not there yet. We are becoming pure we're becoming pure so that we might shine to others in this dark world. And we do it as we hold firmly to what's true. And so this all starts with Jesus, right? I mean, he's the light of the world. We're the lights in the world. So as the light of the world is being extended, people are still hearing. And they're still believing. And they're still receiving. And they're still being saved. The Spirit's still coming to indwell people, to radically change people. I Man, that can be your story here this morning. Maybe you've never received Jesus as your Savior. Why not? And he died for you. Right? He gave His life so that you could be freed from your sin, that you could be healed from whatever it is that you feel is broken, that you could find hope, that you would know what real peace is like, give you purpose, give you a future. Why does He love us? I don't know. But what we do know is that He does. And He loves us lavishly. And so maybe today you'd like to receive Jesus as your Savior. The Bible says, believe in Him, that He is the Son of God, the resurrected Son. Confess with your mouth. Be the Lord of my life. And His promise is, I'll I'll save you. He would delight to do so today. Maybe you've been saved, though. I just wonder... How mindful are we of our complaining? How mindful are we of our grumbling? How mindful are we of opportunities that we're closing down because we're argumentative or because we want to prove a point rather than share with a person? And does our life and our conduct and our speech consistently live out this thing of purity? And do we reveal light for others? Paul says, you've been enabled to shine, and so have I. And so when we hold firmly to the Word of God, we then can have something to hold out to others. wonder, are you holding firmly to the Word? What truths guide your life? What promises are the anchor for your soul? What moments has God met you that you go back to and you say, He was faithful then, and He'll be faithful now. That was hard then, and we can do hard things then, And we can do hard things now because he's a faithful God. All right? Pursuing purity.